day, what a day. Welcome to the JT The Brick Show. You know, when you put the silver and black uniform on, you get such a surge of energy. It's time for the JT The Brick Show. And a lot of football players around the country that want to wear that silver and black. JT The Brick. When you talk about the Raiders, everyone knows you talk about the Raiders. On Raider Nation Radio 920 AM, here's your host, JT The Brick. Welcome back. JT with you as we continue on. Our final show of the week. I was thinking about a little R&R, a little getaway, but you can't as I'm in the building of the Raiders headquarters, the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center, and there are meetings in progress. For obvious reasons, the Raiders are looking to hire a general manager, and we have our head on a swivel, have no idea what the process is, how many more individuals will be requested for this, and we're just going to wait and see what they do and when they decide to make a hire, and we'll be talking about it here on the flagship of the station. Very important hire for obvious reasons. Mike Mayock had the job for three years. Uh, Mike did a lot of good within this organization. He did a lot of good within this organization and brought in several players, including Hunter Renfro and Max Crosby, Casey Hayward, Denzel Perryman, Trayvon Merrig. Uh, There were good, solid players up and down this roster uh, with Mike Mayock's name next to it. Uh, The draft picks really struggled, the top draft picks. First-round picks were unacceptable, period. And that's got to get cleaned up. And I hate using that term, cleaned up. It makes me sound like Joe Judge, but it's hard to draft someone in the first round. I mean, you could if you got the Trevor Lawrence pick or the Peyton Manning, it's pretty obvious. You get the fourth pick, you take Cleveland Farrell, and it turns out that he didn't live up to that, then it's on you. But it could be on other people in that group process. But the GM has to own that pick. And some of the other picks, clearly no one saw what was going to happen with Henry Ruggs. Josh Jacobs was a solid pick, a great pick. Well, that's open for debate. And then Alex Leatherwood, a current member of this team. And when you look at Leatherwood, there's two different camps on Leatherwood. One, he's very young. Look at his durability and how he played this year. In his rookie year, coming out of Alabama, where he played more college games than anybody. The Outland Trophy winner, he played in a lot of games. And very big games. Okay, National championship games, college football playoff games. He logged a lot of football recently before he came to the Raiders, and then he was available for the Raiders. He played through injury. He played through struggles, and there's something to build with him. But was he worth being taken that high overall? Most people would say not. And now the Raiders with a pick, depending on what they do with their pick, I think it's 22 if I'm wrong by a pick. I apologize. My head scrambled eggs today. But what will the Raiders do with their first-round pick? Will they trade out of it? Will they trade up? Will they use it in a package deal to do something elaborate and very aggressive? We can't answer that question until the new general manager is hired. Because the new general manager is going to get the job because of that. He's going to come in here and impress Mark Davis with his vision of the future. I found out that the Panthers filled their OC vacancy with Ben McAdoo, former Giants head coach. I mean, this guy, Matt Rule, deserves to be fired on this alone. Ben McAdoo and Matt Rule? Really? For the Panthers? You know what Ben McAdoo's famous for? Everybody should know this because it happened in Oakland. He benched the Ironman of football, Eli Manning, who had the longest Ironman streak post-Brett Favre. benched him in Oakland, and I was there. I, I couldn't believe it. Geno Smith came out of the tunnel, and Eli was embarrassed by sitting on the sidelines. McAdoo couldn't even give him the first quarter of that game. 
and he's going to be the guy there. The Giants hired the Bills' assistant GM. Joe Schoen as their new GM there. A lot of Giant fans seem to be happy because it could bring Brian Dabble as the new head coach of the team, and that could happen there. So there are a lot of individuals here now wondering who's next. The Giants, the Giants moved on and made a big decision with their GM, who you got to believe is going to bring either a coach, a head coach, or assistant coaches from Buffalo, a very good team, good structure, down to East Rutherford for the Giants and go down that road. And other than that, everybody's just waiting on what's going to happen with a couple of the other coaches that we believe will get hired. The biggest name out there is Brian Flores, who was let go by Miami. He's a very good coach. Where could he end up, including the Raiders potentially? A defensive head coach. Would he be a good fit? Uh, The Bears will interview Dennis Allen on Tuesday. Uh, This is their latest scheduled interview and perhaps their last in the first round. Dennis Allen was the head coach of the Silver and Black. So could he get that job with the Bears? Of course he can. He's very qualified to do this. But here's the most bizarre thing. The most bizarre thing that no one can figure out. The Texans' head coach candidate is Josh McCown, the former quarterback who's never coached in college or in the NFL. You know, he's that backup quarterback who played for 100 teams. Meanwhile, the Rams' defensive coordinator, Raheem Morris, has his Vikings interview. Rams' OC, Kevin O'Connell, will speak with the Vikings, too. And the Chiefs' OC, Eric Bieniemy interviews in his hometown with the Broncos. Now, let's stop on Eric Bieniemy for a minute. I, I've said this a hundred times if I've said it once. I'm not saying he's a fit for the Raiders or not. But whoever gets Eric Bieniemy is going to get the playbook of Kansas City and Andy Reid down to the detail. The last detail on when Tyreek Hill goes in motion. If Tyreek Hill goes in motion on third and three or third and six, you're going to have every secret of the Kansas City Chiefs. Every one. So that's pretty important because he's not going to take a lateral move. He's not going to leave a team to become the OC. He's not going to leave Kansas City to become the offensive coordinator of the Raiders or another team. He is in line for a head coaching position. Now the same could be said here with Byron Leftwich. By hiring Byron Leftwich, the former quarterback who was very good, you're going to get all of the Tom Brady playbook plus Bruce Arians. And that's something to be said. When they bring that playbook in, they don't have to leave it. They leave the hard copy of it at their former job. They have all the other notes at home and the exact copy at home, and they bring it to the new organization, and they show the scouts, and they show the coaches what they've learned. So Biennemi and Leftwich are really big. Raheem Morris is a coach who's going to deserve a shot again, and Todd Bowles. For the Raiders, it comes down to a couple things. Ritz Basaccia did a great job, and he is in line to be rewarded as the head coach if Mark Davis believes that. He's done some things to prove that he can keep a team together under adverse situations and take over as head coach, which he did, and do a good job. But is that the philosophy that Mark Davis has going forward with this coach about the structure of this organization with the new GM? Uh, The rumors with Jim Harbaugh are just rumors, but there's a lot of prominent NFL insiders who have to put out lists. You see, that's what's changed in the last 20 years. You have to have a list. You do. You have to have a top 10 list. David Letterman came up with that. You have to have a list of who are the best candidates. And on a lot of people's list, it has Jim Harbaugh going to the Raiders. He has a relationship. He got to start as a coach with the Raiders under Al Davis. 
and he's friends with Mark Davis. So that will persist until he gets hired or not, or he decides he's going to stay at Michigan. We don't know. We don't have anything to add on that issue there. So this is what we're waiting on. Who will be the GM? Will that happen on Tuesday, Thursday, two weeks from Monday? I had no idea. But they're meeting here as we speak, and I know that because I'm in the building. They're meeting and they're talking, and there's a lot of really good candidates in the mix here. The game's coming up this weekend. Depending on where you're going to watch them here in town and wherever you want to go, I hang out at Doghouse inside Resorts World. It's a massive footprint. You can go to Doghouse, sit, and watch the games on their big screen. The sports book is located right there, and you're inside Resorts World. where It just feels big when you're there. Uh, we'll be doing more with them coming up here for the draft and some other special events coming up here. But the games are very interesting because the favorites deserve to be favorites. Either they had the week off with the bye week, which would be the Titans taking on the Bengals. Of course, the Packers, which is the late game on Fox on Saturday against the 49ers. Lambeau Field, the weather's supposed to be around 9 to 10 degrees. Uh, doesn't look like it's going to be bad, just cold as you would expect it to be. It'll be pretty cold in Nashville, too. 35 to 37 degrees. Let's take these games first. The Bengals got to get Joe Mixon going. The Titans have Derrick Henry coming back. I don't know how many plays he's going to play, but he's been cleared to play. The question is, why is Mike Vrabel holding him back in the media? Mike Vrabel's not commenting, so gamblers don't know if there's a chance he could sit out. But Derrick Henry worked his ass to get back to the spot. He's going to play. I just don't know how sharp he's going to be. But he is a beast. He's one of the greatest conditioned athletes to ever play that position of all time. Dating back to O.J. Simpson, Tony Dorsett, Marcus Allen. This guy should be ready to go. The night game, the Niners and the Packers, I believe comes down to Jimmy Garoppolo. Because we know Aaron Rodgers has a lot of pressure on him. The pressure is enormous. If he loses the game to Jimmy G, if he loses that game, there's no way he can spin it. But Garoppolo isn't at 100%. They have Trey Lance, who has not been coached up to speed to play in this game, as a rookie. He didn't play much this year. But could there be a package for him in the red zone that could confuse the Packers? I wouldn't be surprised. If Jimmy G's not playing well in this game, I think Shanahan will look at Lance like the Raiders look at Mariota and say, get in there. Go make a play or two. Let's keep this going. Rams and Buccaneers. Rams and Buccaneers, big game. Our Rams played great. They were fantastic against Arizona. Man, did they look good. Offense got going. Stafford only threw it 17 times because Cam Akers was able to run it. Sonny Michelle was able to run it. They combined for over 100 yards. And Odell Beckham Jr. starting to go off. And then the heavyweight fight, the game that I'm most interested in on Sunday. Can't miss. Bills at Chiefs. Bills 11-6 and six at Chiefs 12-5. and five. Raider Nation knows the Chiefs as good as anybody. I want the Bills to win. I want to knock out the Chiefs again. Knock out the Chiefs and get them out of here. As my podcast partner, Tom Looney, always says, the Chiefs are the Dallas Mavericks. Dirk Nowitzki has one championship. Great player, but just one. We'd like the Chiefs to become the Dallas Mavericks over the next four or five years. One Super Bowl and them getting their ass kicked in the playoffs if you're a Raider fan. Everyone in the Raider Nation's got to be pulling for Buffalo. Have to. Can't let the Chiefs keep building momentum. So we'll get into that. And I asked earlier in the show, who is the MVP of the Raiders going forward? Who is the most valuable player in your mind going forward? 
that the Raiders have to build the franchise around? Derek Carr is an obvious answer. Max Crosby, Darren Waller, Hunter Renfro. Carlson, the kicker, was fantastic. Who do you believe is the most important piece for the Raiders when they eventually hire this general manager and have to make a decision who to build around? Let's get out to Lester in the Bay Area. How are you, Lester? Hey, JT. Thanks for taking the call. Thank you. Uh, you know, regard, regarding the head coaching situation, I mean, I, you know, I love Bataccio. Much respect for him, as everybody knows. But here's the thing. It, it comes down to the big picture, okay? Who's going to be the next GM or head coach that's going to be able to have the best plan to deal with Mahomes for the next, you know, eight to ten years and also Justin Herbert for the next eight to ten years within the division, okay? You know the Broncos are probably going to find a quarterback eventually, right, to, to get them to the, to the next level where they want to be. So that's going to be the next plan. I mean, and I, I think whoever the coach is, that's why, you know, I would love the Dodd-Harbaugh uh, combination, the best combination mm-hmm. of who's going to move this franchise to the next level, right? And I think whether or not they decide to keep Derek Carr or flip him for picks, whatever it is, you know, Eric Bieniemy, I think, yeah, he's did fine and well. He has a great resume, but – not all these quarterbacks in the league are Patrick Mahomes, right? Mm-hmm. So you got to remember, <laughs> Patrick Mahomes does a lot of things improvised. He improvises a whole lot. Derek Carr is not Patrick Mahomes. Marcus Mariota is not Patrick Mahomes. You know, maybe Russell Wilson is, mm-hmm. has those same intangibles. So that's the other factor, okay? And you got to build the offensive line as well, okay? And you got to get, you know, another weapon uh, at the receiving core. So we'll see who the best combination is, JT. I mean, mm-hmm. it's nothing against Versace, but who's mm-hmm. going to take this team to the next level? That's what it's all about. Yeah, and we, we agree with that. It could be Basaccia to take the team to the next level with the new GM and whatever they decide to do with the coaching staff. All of it is in play. I hate to be vague about it as I sit in the Raider facility today, but the interim head coach became the head coach, and he interviewed for the job, and he hasn't been told yet if he'll be the head coach or not. So we'll, we'll talk about the coach when the coach becomes the topic. Johnny Katz joins us the entertainment reporter, the man about town for the Las Vegas Review-Journal. Johnny, thanks for getting back to me. Big day in Vegas, the uh, passing of Meatloaf, but especially Louis Anderson, who I know you knew well, and what an icon he was in this city. Larger than life. You know, he, Louis Anderson, that's what you can say. In, in fact, and in, in his spirit, he was a, he was a major figure, a, a, a towering presence was Louis uh, in Las Vegas and, and uh, wherever he performed. He had quite a career, you know, on uh, many TV shows. He was a great uh, talk show guest, of course, as a, a comedian. He did specials on the cable nets. He uh, had a, a film career that included Coming to America, and he was very well known in Las Vegas. He lived here uh, since 2006, and uh, I saw him uh, most recently at the uh, the last time I saw him was uh, in May at the Laugh Factory. Mm-hmm. at uh, the Tropicana on Mother's Day weekend, which was appropriate because he was so fond of his mother. Um, and, of course, he won an Emmy for his role as Christine Baskets, who was yes. uh, based on his mother, based on his mom. So, um, you know, uh, he had been fighting cancer and had kept that very private until last week and, uh, and uh, passed away overnight at uh, uh, St. Rose, uh, Siena, here in Las Vegas. And uh, a huge loss, huge that Emmy Award was a big deal to him. It really was. That showed his acting chops on top of being a courageous comedian. And I remember the first time I saw him on Rodney Dangerfield special. If just to get on mm-hmm. a Dangerfield show was just the gold standard in comedy, and he was a mainstay. 
Yeah, he was he he was great. I remember that too, and I remember him being on the Tonight Show, and he the big moment in his career in 1984 when he made his debut there. It turned his life over. You know, it, it completely changed the trajectory of his career. And you talk about that role, like Christine Baskett's role, when people heard that he was going to be uh, cast as a, in a female as a female in a, in that role. I think a lot of eyebrows were raised because it's it sounded slapstick. It sounded uh, you know. Uh, like it would be a lot of physical comedy and like in the Milton Berle kind of uh, uh, tradition, but it wasn't. That was a textured, layered, nuanced character. It was very funny, but he inhabited that character, and you really believed that this person was female. And uh, and that's what Galifianakis, who, who was the uh, the co-creator of the mm-hmm. show, along with Louis C.K., too, if you give credit where it's due, they both realized that Louis Anderson could pull that off. And he uh, he certainly deserved his Emmy. I was talking to Brad Garrett about it this morning, who's also a great comic actor, and he said the same thing. He said that he, he deserved every inch of the credit he got for that Christine Baskets role. Johnny Katz is our guest. I'm, I'm really excited you posted a picture on, on your social media about three of the greats, George Wallace, Carrot Top, and Louis, at the Las Vegas airport in 2014. Every time we go through mm-hmm. security and you see that mm-hmm. it plays out, you're going to say, I hope they keep that forever. It was great to see Carrot Top Wallace and then Louie would come through. It's comedy as you're going through security. Yeah, that's funny, isn't it? You, you kind of come out, with, come out of what is going on when you hear that Louie Anderson voice. You know, it's not true of all those guys, but you hear him, you know, and he was, he was certainly, <laughs> that was a great shot. My friend Hillary Smoot, uh, the publicist in Las Vegas took that. She was uh, she was hurting those guys that day, and um, yeah, you know, uh, I just uh, it's hard to it's it's hard. One thing about Louis too, if you talk about him, he was willing to talk about mental health on stage before a lot of comedians, mm-hmm. or maybe you know, the great majority of famous comedians were willing to go there. He talked about his family life, what it was like growing up with an abusive abusive alcoholic father. In his act, and that was at a time when that wasn't the norm. It's more common for celebrities to, to get into that conversation now, but not in, the, not in the late 80s and 90s when Louis Anderson was breaking. And he deserves a lot of credit for bringing that conversation into the, into the public domain. John Katz-Lamitas joins us, Johnny Katz. You know, one other thing, when you're a heavy set comedian, and there's been many, but not many at the level of Louis Anderson, and you have to talk about that, and you make people laugh about that, but then you leave the stage and you get on with your life. And some guys have really highs. Some have really lows when it comes to food or alcohol or drugs. The time I met him, and I'm going to share that story a little bit later, he was just the sweetest person, the nicest person. I met him at a dinner, and he was making jokes to the waiters about when they brought his food around there. That's something he lived with his whole entire adult life. Yeah, you're right. And it was it was constant. It was... Uh... It was in his act. His great line was he'd come out on stage and, and he'd stand behind the mic stand. He'd say, oh, I, I better move this because you won't be able to see me. You know, it was like his, his take my wife, please, or I get no respect line, you know, set the table. But he had, uh, over the course of his career when I knew him, had, had uh, fought to keep his weight down. I think he'd lost 40 pounds before he had gotten sick. Uh, through intermittent fasting, he was into that. Uh, of course, he's like intermittent fasting. I, I eat for six minutes and then I take a minute off and then I eat for another six minutes. <laughs> take a minute off. But he was he, he was uh, well aware that uh, that uh, his health was not always optimum for sure. And he, he battled it. You know, I think it, it was a it was a battle throughout his uh, certainly throughout his career and probably throughout his life. 
wrapping it up with Johnny Katz. Tell me about Meatloaf and his history in Vegas. It, I would think perfect for a residency now when the birth of the residencies and what would happen with the Bat Out of Hell album and the classics that he had. And when he showed up in Vegas, how many times was he out here? What's his history in the city? He had two runs in, uh, in Las Vegas on the Strip on, in 2014 and, and again in 2015 in uh, what was called Rock Tales and Cocktails, which was Adam Steck of Spy Entertainment's uh, series of, of uh, storytelling uh, concert performances. And Meat, he liked to be called Meat. I interviewed him a couple of times before both of these runs. He, um, he really did well in the 2014 run. Not as great the second time around, but he, I was impressed by how uh, he had really devoted fans. He had a lot of fans. And uh, he opened up and he played uh, all the classics, you know, Paradise by the Dashboard Lights and, um, uh, and uh, a lot of stuff out of Bad Out of Hell. And then he took questions from the, uh, from the crowd, mm-hmm. you know. You know uh, <laughs> one guy asked him, what is that when you say, uh, I won't do that in his, in his head? Uh, I'll do anything for love, but I won't do that. The question was, what is that? And he goes, that's for you to figure out. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, he was a a character. He was funny. He was chewing gum on stage, too. That was one thing. It's usually a no-no for a singer to chew gum on stage. And he would come out and chew gum. And, you know, when he'd really get into the vocals, gum would fly across stage. What a performer. uh, The the backing singers in that show, Alyssa, Baker was was one of them. They, they were really great, um, mm. and and they helped carry that show too. Um, it, it was a, it was a, it was a lot of fun. So he did have two runs there. Yeah. All right. Last one: the cancellation or the postponement of Adele. Big topic at my house with my wife, who was fascinated by not only Adele but the price of the tickets and how to get in and what it was going to take to go. And then we started seeing stories on the news. First off, she put out a dramatic very emotional post, video post, on how devastated she was showing COVID still as issues and all the people on the staff who were affected by that. But how about the people that flew to Vegas and not only had to pay for those tickets, but had to get hotel rooms and airline tickets? It really seemed like that affected her deeply. She knows the cost of that experience to see her play. Well, I think, uh, yeah, the, uh, true across everything you said there, uh, JT. She was That person in that video wasn't ready to do a, a, a residency in Las Vegas, no matter what the reason is. You know, that she, she made it clear that she, that she was not prepared. The show wasn't prepared. It's not in condition uh, at all. I was surprised that they shut down the entire run of 24 shows through April. You know, usually when you have these kinds of issues, you can, you can push back the opening for a few weeks and and gather, you know, what you need to and get your feet under you and and make it something. And you can always adjust a show, you know, to get it on stage. It beats having to cut the whole thing or postpone the whole thing. So there's that, there's a lot of questions about how much of a supply chain, she mentioned that, uh, those concerns, how much of a COVID uh, outbreak was inside her show, because they were in a very, you know, no, it was a famously protected environment with her show. You know, they were in a very, very strong bubble, as I understood it, mm-hmm. for her for her cast and crew. And the show itself, you know, for fans was, was very, you know, protected. You know, you had to prove uh, negative COVID test and proof of uh, updated vaccination status. So when you throw all that together, um, yeah, the, the people who had to... Um, you know, book flights and get rooms and everything. I, I, this moment, it's still, you know, this is what buyer beware is all about. You know, this is, this is how you, um, 
you are, are treated when you buy tickets. I, if she wants to really make good, she would probably offer to reimburse people and have some sort of a system to, uh, you know, help people out who did have to pay right. for flights here and do all that. But we're not we're not there yet. There's been mm-hmm. no indication that that's going to happen. And uh, so now Caesars has a whole, you know, has 24 open dates at the Coliseum to, to deal wow. with. Yeah. And a lot of bad, uh, bad PR. <laughs> yeah, it's not their PR fault. This it's happens. It's COVID. It's mm-hmm. how it's how business Started. works. Uh, my friend, have a good weekend. We love having you on to talk entertainment and especially on a day like today where you knew Louis Anderson and we're all thinking of you and thinking of his friends. And uh, he had a big impact here on Las Vegas. Thank you. Thank you, JT. We'll talk soon. Johnny Katz, our entertainment reporter, the big guy here in town, and we have him on because we have a lot of people listening in Vegas, but more people listening outside the market who decide they want to come out here and they want to see a show. They want to know what's happening from an entertainment perspective. And Johnny Katz is at the top of the list. Very quickly before we have Gary Lawless, and I'll get to Big Al in a second. I met Louie Anderson, one of my buddies, John. I'll leave his last name out because I think he'd like me to. He invited me to dinner with Louie Anderson. Three or four years ago. And the day before, my buddy John introduced Louis Anderson to Tommy Hilfiger because Louis cared about fashion and my buddy knew Tommy Hilfiger pretty well. And we went to dinner, just three of us, not Tommy Hilfiger, but it was Louis Anderson, my buddy John, and I got a chance to meet him. And he cracked jokes. He cracked jokes about food with the waiters. People came up to the table, wanted pictures with him. And literally, you'd think that would piss off someone. Not him. He was good with it. Uh, when he left, he went up to everybody at the bar and tipped the, the maitre d' and the bartenders. What a night. I mean, just the jokes he said, how much fun he was. And a big guy in a restaurant where everybody was looking at our table the entire dinner because everybody knew that was Louis Anderson in Vegas. Kind of, you know, Robin Leach before he passed away. When guys like that walked into a room, they wanted people to notice him. That, that's what's cool about being a celebrity like that. He's not De Niro. He's not Pacino. But Louis Anderson in Vegas, pretty cool guy. And when he walked in, he made everybody feel better. Louis Anderson, rest in peace. Big Al in San Francisco on the importance of the GM hire. What's happening, Big Al? Uh, you know, J- JT, I've been following the last week in the NFL really closely, just sifting through as much of the cowboy garbage that I have to sift through to be able to get to some meat and potatoes. And... You know, I look at these uh, these G, you know, the, 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 these uh, teams, and you take a look at the teams that are looking to hire GMs, and most of them have been marginal teams at best for a very long time. These mm-hmm. are just not teams that have just fallen off of you know the the earth in the last couple of years, and they're all looking at all these young guys, and I'm like, none of these guys are proven. And mm-hmm. you're, you want young guys, and then you want immediate results, and you don't have any of these guys, you know, who are who are really proven. And if you and you know, I'm reading about the guy the Giants hired today, he's still, you know um, he's a you know, he's a lifer in the NFL. He started in ticket sales. I go, well, that's nice. Well, then he should be in sales. He should be on the business side and not on football operations side. I want to see the teams that I root for, most specifically the Giants and the Raiders, just like yourself. I want to see them go after experienced guys who understand the game, who have adapted to the game as the game has changed over the last 10, 15, 20 years, and not just bring in some guy because he's young and he's going to be filled with fresh ideas and he understands analytics and he knows how to use a computer. Well, to me, all that in a nickel is worth about five pennies, and thank you very much. Go, 
for these teams that are looking, most specifically the Raiders and you know, you know, and the Giants made their hire today for what it's worth. Go out and get an experienced guy who understands pro personnel and knows how to delegate out responsibilities concerning college personnel and college scouting, and go get a real pro. And don't bring in a millennial with fresh ideas. I'm just sick and tired of reading about it. It, make, it. it honestly makes my stomach turn. Wow. Thanks, Big Al. Very sophisticated, smart, high-end Raider fan. Uh, doesn't want a young gun. Doesn't want a guy from ticket sales. I've met a lot of guys from ticket sales who have gone on to be super successful within an organization. And there's a lot of people from the Raider organization who work their way up to the top, top, top. Well, very interesting. Do you want a veteran who knows the league and has connections all throughout the league, like a Scott Pioli, or a guy in his 30s with analytics and a new look at the future of the league, developing hot, dot, dot, dot. Theodore steps in and steals it away. Theodore finds Wah in the slot. An overtime hero against Montreal. Sets it up for Theodore. He scores! Vegas wins in overtime. Shea Theodore, the hero. 4-3 Golden Knights. Great goal. Great call. Love it. Needed that one. As Gary Lawless joins us, the Vegas Golden Knight insider, one of the best in the entire sport. It's been a while, my friend. You know, I, I called after a win, a much-needed win to get you on. How are you? I'm good, JT. How you doing, bud? Couldn't be better as I'm live from the Raiders headquarters today, and I know you're always at the Vegas Golden Knights headquarters. Take me through that victory, how much needed it was, the style of play against the team that got uh, Las Vegas last year. Well, Vegas only had one win in uh, their last six games. So, obviously, it was uh, and facing uh, the road trip where they're going to Washington, Carolina, Tampa, and Fort Lauderdale, four of the best teams in the National Hockey League. They, they needed that win last night for, uh, well, first of all, to, to get off that slide and to get uh, a little bit of uh, some positive mojo before they hit the road. So, uh, they you know, 53 shots on net. Uh, Montembeau was good for the Habs. Uh, Vegas stuck with it, fell behind in the third, and then showed uh, some pretty good resilience to get back into that one, tie it up, and then uh, obviously a great play from Theodore in overtime to get them to win. I think that uh, uh, I I just watched them practice, and they were there in good spirits. So they'll get on that plane for Washington, and, uh, and the game is there Monday. Washington obviously... Ovechkin's having a, you know, he's first in the league in points right now. He's having a tremendous season, and uh, they consider themselves a contender. So that's a start of a real tough road trip. Gary Lawless joins us. So eventually when Jack Eichel's ready to go, and then the injuries, especially to Pacioretty, when do you expect to see this team at full strength? We know that there could be other injuries down the road, but how far away are we to seeing the Golden Knights close to full strength? Well, last night they played... Without Stone, Pacioretty, Eichel up front. And on the back end, they were missing White Cloud, Haig, and Martinez. So I think oh. that all three, I think all those five of those guys are close. 
Eichel is an unknown. We'll have to wait and find out. You know, he hasn't been hit yet. There's there's a healing process that is going to dictate where this goes. So when the doctors, they determine, okay, the, the, the surgery and your neck is healed enough that someone can hit you, then they'll do that, and we'll see how he responds to that. So his process is still remains an unknown. The other guys are close, and uh, I actually think that everybody's going to be on the plane. The board said Eichel's going to make this trip. He expects wow. Martinez and, uh, and Pacioretty to come on this trip, and he's hopeful that they uh, potentially could return to the lineup sometime on the trip. So lots of, uh, lots of good news on the injury front, but, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> as those guys come back, the way things have gone this year, somebody else is probably going to fall out. Like, like when, when is Pete DeBoer going to have his lineup? Who knows if he ever will. Gary Lawless joins us. It's fascinating for people outside of Las Vegas and, you know, not the diehard hockey fans of how great this team could be. For those who compare it to an all-star team, a great roster, you've been doing this a long time at full strength with all the expensive players, everyone they have, the depth of this team. In your experience, compare this to other rosters in the past who have not won the Cup that have been close. Yeah, it's hard to do, uh, you know. You look at at Colorado's current lineup. You know they've got top to bottom. They've got superstars on the blue line and and the forward group. Tampa's team that won last year was a super team, right? They were able to do things with the cap because of Kucherov's injury that allowed him to you know come back at the last minute. And that's you know inserting you know, a top ten player in the world. So uh, this team is uh, it's loaded without question. For the fans who say, I'm not the same fan because of Flurry, and I know this is a delicate act for everybody involved with the organization, you move on, you move on. He came in, the tribute to him, he gives up a goal early, stands on his head, wins that game. Robin Leonard, a little bit more vocal when it comes to social media. When you correspond with fans and they come up to you with the Flurry jersey on, what do you say? I say, if it's a Golden Knights jersey, I say nice jersey. If it's yeah. a Blackhawks one, I ask them if they're good jerseys, dirty. Like, what are they doing? Um, uh, you know, listen, I understand people fall in love with players. We want them to. It's uh, that's part of selling the game. And I, you know, I, I had players that I loved when I was growing up as well. I don't, Mark Andre Fleury is a great guy to love. So you know, we don't have any issue with that. Mm. We do, you know, expect people to cheer for the, the crest in front of the jersey more than the name. And that's really important. I wanted to kind of wrap it up with that. That's how I became a Golden Knights fan, being a diehard Islander fan when they won Cups. We've talked about it. It was very easy to jump in with this team because they were an inaugural expansion team. They started from scratch, and they had the success, and we know 1 October and what happened there and how this city galvanized together. And then the team has been super successful. But the most important thing, ownership. Mr. Foley trying to tweak the team and make it better. I'm in the Raider facility. They just made the playoffs. Mark Davis is trying to tweak the team and make it better. Sometimes there's tough decisions, Gary, along the way. You know this as you try to make the team a little bit better and have to make tough decisions with personnel. Yeah, listen. Kelly McCrimmon and George Mm -hmm. McPhee, they have a job, and that's to win. Win a Stanley Cup. Bill Foley wants to win a Stanley Cup. That's that's it. Their job description could be one line win the Stanley Cup, and uh, there are hard decisions to make. Kelly McCrimmon, you know, he made the decision on Gerard Gallant. 
it, it turned out to be a, an excellent decision mm-hmm. for the Golden Knights. Gerard has gone on to work with the Rangers. He's doing a fantastic job there. Yep. DeBoer, his win, his points percentage since taking over the Golden Knights is it vacillates from first to second between him and and Colorado. It, you know he's done a tremendous job. So listen, I I, I understand the attachment to individuals, but uh, you know I think all fans would want a parade more than anything else, and that's what McCurman and McPhee are trying to achieve. This is a good food and beverage trip, right? This is a fun road trip to go on. I love, I love hockey road trips, and I know there's COVID protocol and there's issues with you know what you can do on the road. But for the hockey players who love to enjoy themselves after a game, there's a, a nice little road trip with some good spots along the way that's fun. Absolutely. Well, uh, <laughs> not for the players, for the broadcast. Right. The players are, uh, you know, like after a game, we get on the plane and fly to the next city. Then the next night. Uh, they have to, you know, they go for dinner and then they have to go to bed at 9 o'clock because they got to play the next day. We don't have quite the same restrictions. So if there's a, a good spot for a libation, you know, along the beach in Fort Lauderdale <laughs> called the Elbow Room, we might be there. That's it's all. A, it's a great place for hockey players and broadcasters. Enjoy the trip, my friend. Thanks for making time for me. Have a great day. Bye-bye. You got it. Gary Lawless, who is fabulous, and he has this – segment on the TV broadcast called Lawless in Order. So what I do is I tape the game. I'm usually on the radio live, so I can't go to Golden Knights games during the week because I'm doing radio, and I can only go on the weekends. But I tape the game because when he does this segment in between periods, he goes around the league. I feel like I'm watching Hockey Night in Canada. He knows every team, every team. Every player, he can tell you who's injured, who's doing that, who's getting traded, what's happening with the slump with the team. It's fantastic. And by watching that, it helps me with hockey knowledge in case, God forbid, anybody calls on hockey. When I started in the industry, a quick story, when I started in 96, we used to have to have notes because I was on in Detroit and I was on in Boston and all these other markets that had hockey teams. So if a caller called in, And Bobby, you remember this, jump on the mic. If someone called in on the Detroit Red Wings and they wanted to talk about Fedorov or Larianov or whatever, you had to find a way to, like, have the standings and know the name of the players. Now, no one, the radio hosts are afraid to talk about hockey because they can't pronounce the names of the players. They don't know the rules. They don't know the new divisions. So you don't hear as much hockey talk other than our sister station here, which covers the Golden Knights. You know, the one thing I remember from that time back then with hockey is we were on in Colorado and we were on in Detroit. And yes. they, they had a playoff series going on. I was either 97, 98, whatever. And these guys would be on – the phone lines would be packed, walking in the door, just lined up, Colorado, Detroit, Colorado, Detroit, mm-hmm. just going at each other for like three weeks. It was incredible. Yeah, some of the hockey rivalries to this day in certain cities really define those cities. And when you think of Detroit versus Colorado – the Rangers or Islanders versus Boston. And now you got a bunch of teams. Seattle has the Kraken. And you look at the Nashville Predators, Anaheim Ducks, who have been around for a while, the Tampa Bay Lightning, who are the dominant team out there, the Minnesota Wild, they lost the team, they get it back. You know, rivalries are really important. And as we sit here tonight, the leading teams in hockey, the Florida Panthers and the Lightning, have 59 points. So 59 points. The Rangers have 56. Gerard Gallant, former head coach of Vegas, is now the head coach with the Rangers. In the Western Conference, Colorado 
has 57 points in the Central, followed by Nashville. And then look at here in the Pacific. The Vegas Golden Knights with 50 points, five ahead of the L.A. Kings. But in the last 10 games, you know, four wins, four losses, two ties for Vegas. It's a big road trip, and we love talking Vegas Golden Knights. They love talking Raiders. We love talking hockey. It's a part of our city. And this broadcast, I have a bucket of Modelo's waiting for me after a short meeting. On Friday, I reward myself with a bucket of ice-cold Modelo's in the backyard. And I hope you do, too. Modelo, that fighting spirit in the JT the Brick bucket, which is always ready to go on a Friday. Carr from the gun, takes a snap, has all day, good pocket, fires, caught, and there is Deshaun Jackson down the sideline, jackpot baby, touchdown Las Vegas, that's why they picked up Deshaun Jackson, and he burned the Cowboys with a huge touchdown to start this game, oh baby. JT, back with you. Meatloaf passed away today. We've been playing Meatloaf all day. Thanks to Bobby for putting that together. That was number six with Brett Musburger on the call. The Raiders put out the top ten plays of the year. You can find it on their Facebook page, YouTube, social media, everything they have here as we count down. Hope everybody has a good weekend. It should be a big weekend. Don't know what's going to happen with the Raider announcement on the GM as they are going through the interview process. When it happens, tune instantly into Raider Nation Radio on the mobile app or on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM in Vegas to find out the news, and we'll get going after that announcement is made. All right, let's uh, knock out the top five. Here's the number five player of the year for the Silver and Black. Jalen Richard is in as a blocker. Carr takes a snap, lobs it. Down toward, caught by Edwards, he's free, 35-30-25, pushed out of bounds at the 20-yard line. Edwards broke free, and Derek Carr lobbed it to him down the near sideline. Week 6 versus Denver. Interesting how certain plays are in there, others are not. I like that. Big explosive play. Brent Musburger on these calls. We now get inside the top five. Here's number four, Carter Waller. Third and 18. Carr fires into the middle. Caught. Wow. Caught at wow. the 20 by Waller. Wow. What a catch. First down. Now they got to hurry again. A beautiful combo. Carr to Waller. Wild card game. Number four, 
Great throw. We need more car to Waller. More. Get the ball to Waller. The force feeding of Waller. The first game of the year. Monday night football against Baltimore. I came in on Tuesday. People were complaining on these airwaves that Waller got too many targets. I'll never forget that show. Waller's getting too many targets. Are you kidding me? He can never get enough targets. Get the big guy the ball. Number three, Carter Renfro. There's the play action. Looking, can't find an open man. Now he's got somebody over, wide open down the middle. Complete. He's twisting around is Hunter Renfro. He is down the 15-yard line. A huge play as Renfro broke wide open on this. Uh, that was week 12. That uh, came in as a tie at number three as Carlson comes in for the overtime game winner. This will be a 33-yarder. This is for the win. Cole checks his kicker. Good hole. Yes, baby. Jackpot, baby. Well, the cardiac kids are struck again, huh? <laughs> It kept oh it interesting. My, what a run. What a run. That was at Indy. And that was big because it knocked Indy out. Remember, everybody says, well, Jacksonville knocked him out of the playoffs. That was the beginning of the end. Another team that was overrated. Another team like the Chargers, where everybody said Indy's better than the Raiders. The Chargers are better than the Raiders. Blah. They weren't. They didn't make the playoffs. The Silver and Black did. Big dagger there. Love that against Indianapolis. You haven't heard much from them since. All right, we're down to the top two plays of the year. Let's get out to number two. He's got Renfro is to his left. And Zero Zay couple. Jones. Here they come. And here, here they, they come. come. Blitz is picked up. Jones is open. Jackpot, baby. Vegas touchdown. This time, no doubt. Put it in the W column, baby. This one's over. And baby. That was week one in overtime. Very quick story there. That's before we were in the Modelo Cantina Lounge for the post game. Uh, that was week one. I was behind Brett Musburger on that call, which was magical, absolutely magical, to win in overtime and start off the season with that 1-0 start that went to 3-0. and Got a couple ties here. Raiders getting a lot out of this. Uh, we have a three-way tie for the number one play. Let's get the ball to Josh Jacobs. Third down. Well, safe from the 39-yard line. It's Jacobs, cuts over to the left, slashes back, breaks free, crosses the 30, has a first down, ladies and gentlemen, with 30 seconds left in overtime. They're in Daniel Carlson territory. I love that. I love that that was included because without that extra burst, without those yards after being hit, this doesn't happen, which to me, is the number one play of the year, maybe in the entire NFL. And Daniel Carlson is on to put a little frosting on the cake. A little 47-yarder. Jackpot, baby! Let's go to Cincinnati! Yeah, baby! You know what I loved about that call? That Brent didn't say, snap, hold this down. He let the crowd, he let the crowd tell you that it was on its way, it was good. And those are the top ten plays 
Great job by the Raiders and their social media. Silver and Black Productions putting that together. Gary Lawless, Johnny Katz, TJ Reeves, Bobby ran the show. Big emotional week this week as I wrap it up from the Raiders headquarters, Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center. That bucket of Modelo's is looking good. Have a great weekend, everybody. We'll see you back here on Monday. Always appreciate you listening.